Um, and, uh, and we're here this morning, and it's my privilege to be able to wrap up our, our series that we've been doing on unlikely heroes. And what I wanted to do is just reference a few things that have been happening over the last little while. And we started off with Jesus, and then we looked at Elijah, and then we looked at, um, oh my goodness, I've just gone blank. Deborah, thank you. We looked at Deborah, and then Mark took us through David last week, some great messages. And uh, this week, I'm going to be speaking on someone quite profound, and I'm going to introduce that person to you in a little while. But before we go there, I wanted to just highlight a few things that have happened and some threads that I've picked up over the last few weeks. And as I've listened into the messages that we've been away, there's been an, an amazing thread that I've heard. And, and some of the key things that have jumped out at me, I want to just touch on for a moment. And I want to start off with Mark's message last week. Mark, thank you just for spending yourself. It was a great message. I really believe brought some great challenge and encouragement to many people here. If you weren't here, go and listen to it. Listen to them all, but last week's was good. Um, and Mark, Mark said a few things, which I just want to quote here. He said of David that he was a young man that stood before a giant. Before anyone knew his name, before anyone could sing about his exploits, and before he was wearing a crown and sitting on a throne, he stood before a giant and he acted kingly. This young, unknown, obscure young man act kingly solely based on who God says he is. This young, obscure, unknown man acted kingly solely based on who God says he is. Isn't that amazing? Jerry referenced a few key things around Deborah, but one of the things, he called her Deborah. I guess either one, hey? I've never heard that before. So Deborah it is, right? We'll correct Jerry publicly. (laughs) God, one of the things that I really picked up in that message and just so true is that one of the, the, the traits of Deborah's life that set her apart was that She didn't hear something and go away and say, well, I'll pray about that for a while. She heard something from God and immediately, without even anticipating what the the ramifications or consequences to it were, she said yes. And then figured out how to do it and courageously took a step forward and acted in radical obedience. And I feel like one of the threads that I've seen through this series has been this, this call to radical obedience. This call to courage, this call to hearing the voice of God, responding, saying yes, and getting on with it and doing it. And I can only imagine what it would look like if we all lived our lives that way. That's what revival looks like. Truly it is. Over the last number of weeks as we've had opportunity to spend time with family and we've met some wonderful new people and strangers that have become friends and camping trips and these kind of things, the, the one thing that I've realized as I look around me and, and you read the news and you spend time just considering what's going on in the world around you, it, it, it takes some firm standing to not become discouraged when you look around you. Within our own lives, within the family around us, within our church community, within our city, within our, the nation and the nations of the world, there are 
many of us had have amazing moments of celebration and breakthrough and courageous things and interspersed in between all of that is moments of fear and doubt and anxiety and no matter how much it might look someone has it to all together there's a whole lot going underneath the surface that most of us just don't admit to or don't even know how to begin to express or understand ourselves so many people everyone going through tough stuff sickness disease broken relationships Stress, anxiety, uncertainty, financial hardship, addictions to more things than I could possibly mention. I'm just seeing this becoming more and more rife everywhere we go. And you know what it is? It's just self-medication for pain. Physical, emotional pain and spiritual deadness. Self-medication to find something that gives my brain a little bit of a relief from the stuff. That's a sign of our times. And I think for me, one of the most concerning things that I'm seeing is how many people are losing hope. Believers are losing hope. We haven't seen evidence of this, therefore I'm losing hope. And in the midst of all of this, I'm I'm reminded of so many scriptures that come to mind. And and that's the importance of soaking ourselves in the word of God. So So for everything that sets itself up against God... We have a response that says, but the scriptures say. Jesus did it time and time again. Church, you and I have got to be digging deep in the word. It sounds like a whole lot of doom and gloom, hey? And there's this beautiful little three-letter word, but. But God. But he says, but Jesus did. This is what the Bible says. And for me, hope is everything. If we have hope for something beyond our circumstances, not only does it change our lives, but it gives us something to say to the people around us. In fact, the Bible doesn't say anything about having a finely tuned theology and a well-worked-out doctrine to be able to tell people about Jesus. It says this alone. It says, always be prepared to give a reason for The hope that you have. Best we figure out some hope. You know what Romans 5 says about hope? Verse 1 in the NLT. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, basically reflecting on the magnificence of what Jesus has done, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. Isn't that amazing? And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. Man, we need to hear that, eh? We can rejoice when we run into problems and trials. Our default response is very seldom that. For we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens what? Our confident hope of salvation. Salvation is not a one-off moment. Salvation is not a, a moment in time that happens. In fact, the Bible says, work out your salvation. Salvation is a journey. And we have this confident hope of salvation. 
you know what this verse says, five? This is everything. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. Most of the reason we don't have hope is because of previous experiences. But the hope that we have in Jesus, the Bible clearly says, will not lead us to disappointment. And you know what? You and I might sit here and go, but this and but that. That's the wrong kind of buts. So let's get rid of those buts and look at the right buts. Don't go there. But God. For we know how dearly God loves us because he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Our friend Steve Backland, I love his one-line expression. He just says this, he with the most hope has the most influence. In our own lives, in our world, in our families. And while it might look like the opposite, the truth is, and it always will be this. Of the increase of his glory, of his government, and of peace, there will be no end. We're going to spend some time looking at some scriptures, because don't take my word for it. This is the word of God. And when everything tries to set itself up against you, be prepared, be armed with the word. It's a sword. It's a double-edged sword. Isaiah 9, 7. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Okay, let's pause for a moment. We'll slide over that without actually thinking about that. what, mean, what that means. We'll look around us in the world and we'll go, Oh my goodness, it's falling apart. We'll hear stories in the news about how Christianity is declining. We'll hear stories about how there's just war and disaster and everything else. But the Bible says of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. You know what that simply means in basic English? Is tomorrow is better than today and today is better than yesterday. But... God. Church, my message is simple for us this morning. I pray that there's nothing new here, but we've got to bed ourselves down in this. Two Corinthians three seventeen. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Not there might be freedom. And we all who with, un, how many of us? All of us. We all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Of the increase of his glory and of government and of peace, there will be no end. There it is. He said it, do we believe it? And because he knows that life is hard, he's so full of encouragement to us. John 14, 1 says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Do you know there's so many scriptures around trouble and hardship and stuff that we go through. It's there for a reason because he knows the condition of life. Do not be anxious 
about anything. Philippians 4 verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation. Not just the ones we're having a hard time with. In every situation. By prayer and petition with thanksgiving. There's a key word right there. Thanksgiving because of and thanksgiving in anticipation of. Present your requests to God. There he says at church. He invites us, come, present your requests to me. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. Other verses say the peace that passes, other versions say the peace that passes understanding. You know what that means in basic English? When everyone around us And me, myself, should be fretting and stressing and full of anxiety. The Bible says I get to have peace that passes understanding. It makes no common sense in what we're used to, to have peace in the midst of this stuff I'm going through. That's peace that passes understanding. That will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Matthew 6, 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. What does the Bible say? Do not worry about your life. Church, I need this this morning. I need to be reminded of this, and I have no doubt every one of us does. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? I had a moment this week when I walked to the front door with my daughter and opened the front door. And this beautiful, innocent, precious little three-year-old who loves bunnies got met with my ferocious beast of a cat at the door with a little dead bunny hanging out of its mouth. I'm like, oh, I can't take that back. And she looked at me with these big eyes and says, save him, Dad. So I took said bunny and we put him in a little bucket and I thought well if he I, I literally laid hands on and prayed for him and and uh, thought well if he wakes up what what a glorious moment <laughs> just to save the innocence of my three-year-old but this beautiful little bunny didn't and she comes to me with these gorgeous little eyes and says when's he gonna wake up from his nap dad I'm like, oh no lord And so we had a formal little burial moment for the bunny and tried to just help her understand death and life. And it was a profound moment. But in the midst of that, this verse came to mind. For her, that was was just a a devastating, profound moment and trying to wrap her head around death. And and, and then at the same time, realizing that the spirit of this bunny is with Jesus. And I'm kind of going, this is ridiculous, but it's huge for her. Do not worry about anything because he feeds the bunnies. <laughs> How much more does he care about you and me? We've got to see that church and hear it. And why do you worry about clothes? 
Some of us need to hear that this morning. (laughs) See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But, oh, oh, here it is, another one. But, casting all that stuff aside, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then what? All these things will be given to you as well. Boom. (laughs) Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You know, he's very clear about it. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You are not alone. (laughs) The world is not alone. But you and I can live on top of that. So today I want to introduce to you the most unlikely hero of all, you. Let that sink in for a moment. Because for some of us we're going, oh well I'm not in the the realm of David and Deborah and Samson and Elijah and Jesus, I'm I'm not me. But you know what? He says something completely different about you. And when we start seeing the way he sees us and we start adjusting ourselves to that, then that's what separates the Davids, the Gideons, the Samsons, the everyone else. Is it sheer grit and obedience and submission and bowing the knee to Jesus that he can raise us up? That's how we overcome all this stuff, church. You and I are the most unlikely heroes of all. And I know we all agree on it. It seems like my life is too hard and all the odds of little old me kind of thriving in my own life, never mind impacting my world, are just too impossible. I can't even get it right for me. How am I going to get it right to impact people around me? Right? But, in the midst of all the hardships of life, he believes in you. He believes in me. And he's given us everything we need for life and godliness. That's what 2 Peter 1 says. Not he's going to, he has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Church, I don't know about you, but, but all the dots are in line, all the things are in place. Why is it going wrong? And at the bottom line of it is it comes to you and me up here believing and surrendering and radical obedience. That's the hallmark of every one of our unlikely heroes. Radical obedience. Here's what he says to us. Matthew 28, 20. Surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. John 16, verse 7. 
Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. Jesus is telling his disciples that he's leaving. They devastated. Imagine we had Jesus in the room. And he says, I'm on my way. And then he says, actually, no, it's to your advantage that I'm leaving. We'll we probably stop right there and go, you've got to be kidding me. How's that to my advantage that you're leaving? He says, stop, listen. If I do not go away, the helper, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, the, the Greek word parakletos, the one who comes alongside us, he will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And I, honestly, for me, what, it's, it's just terrible how misunderstood and misrepresented this scripture is. Because this one who we've just heard about as the helper, the one who comes alongside us, we, we end up in a bit of a schizophrenic mindset here because we go, well, he's helping me, but he's hitting me with a stick. Now, let's, let's work out how he really comes alongside and really helps us in this life that's got enough trouble of its own. He's here to help. He's here to come alongside. He's here to encourage. He's not here to whack us with a stick. How does he do it? He comes to convict us. Oh, we don't like the sound of that word, do we? Well, let's read it in context. He comes to convict us of sin and righteousness and judgment. Let's look at sin concerning sin because they do not believe in me. The root of all sin is unbelief. So he's come to convict us of sin by pointing us towards Jesus and say, believe in him and you will deal with this thing. Talk about a helper. Talk about a one who comes alongside. He's not coming to whack us for sin. He's coming to say, believe Jesus. Believe in him. And you will overcome. What about righteousness? He's coming to convict us of righteousness. Not to say, you better be righteous. He's come to say to us, remember who you are. Why him selling us this? Because Jesus is going to the Father and we'll see him no longer. So in other words, Jesus was all about convicting us of righteousness. What do we read in Scripture? That we have become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. His conviction is us, or to us is, don't forget who you are. You are righteous. You are holy because of the blood of Jesus. Believe in him. Stand up in your righteousness. Well, there's judgment coming. I'm scared of that. Let's see what it says about that. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. He's coming to remind us that the enemy has been dealt a final blow. And when we think he's overcoming us, and when we think he's too much, the Holy Spirit's conviction says, just remember, he's been judged. He's been dealt with. That's the judgment that the Holy Spirit's reminding us of. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that beautiful? So what should we do? He's done all of this to set us up. He's given us everything we need for life and godliness. How do we respond? And it comes down to this thing of radically believe, trust, and obey. Radical believing, radical trust, radical obedience. John 6, 28, they asked him, what must we do to do the works that God requires of us? 
And Jesus answered his disciples. He says, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he sent. Everything else follows. Believe in the one he sent. And here's what Jesus says of us. Jesus said to his disciples, truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven in Matthew 19. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Think of those pictures that Jesus gives, eh? Just let your imagination go a bit. A camel through the eye of a needle. I can barely put a piece of thread through that thing. And when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished. And they asked, well, then, who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And we, we love that verse because it says so much about life to us. And that is true. But the heart of the context of this verse is there's nothing that we can do to earn our way in. And there's nothing that we can do that would disqualify us. Because Jesus' blood paid for everything. And his salvation is, was, and always will be a gift and nothing more and nothing less. Nothing we can ever do can earn it. And we walk in the favor of that. What a privilege. With God, with God, anything is possible. John 14, Jesus says this to his disciples. You are an unlikely hero. The potential in this room is unbelievable. What are we going to do with the potential? Very truly, I tell you, Jesus said, whoever believes in me. Maybe I misread that, sorry. Very truly, I tell you, for the select few who believe in me. No, for, for whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. Right about this moment, you and I are going, yeah, well, I don't know that that kind of, I'll take a few steps back for, for the person next to me and this one, they've got it all figured out. And I, No, it's you and me. One of the most courageous steps forward we can take is to step into who we really are. Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. In other words, I'm going and I'm entrusting this to you, Jesus says. So you are as unlikely a hero with the greatest potential as David, as Elijah, as Jesus himself. That blows my mind. What are we doing with all that he's done for us and all that he's entrusted to us? I will do whatever you ask in my name. Wow, we found a whole lot of ways to try and work around that and say, I'm sure it's not what it actually says. Okay, let's read it again because this is what it actually says. I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. If you hear nothing else today, hear that. If you love me, and if you keep my commands, love equals trust. Keeping my commands equals obedience. If you radically trust me, if you radically obey me, 
I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth who we've just read about. Isn't that amazing? And this is what Christ has done for us. This is what God has promised. I want to read this. And it's not up on the screen behind me. But if you've got your Bibles, it's Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6. Maybe you guys could get it up if you're as good as I hear you are. It's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6 in the NIV. And God raised us up with Christ. And God raised us up with Christ. Stop for a moment and think about that. And He seated us with Him in heavenly realms. God has raised us up to the position of Jesus. An unlikely hero? Absolutely. He seated us with him in the heavenly realms of Christ Jesus in order that, for this purpose, that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. In other words, I am raising you up. I am giving you all of this. I am equipping you. I am making everything possible so that I may show you off to the universe. That you can bring change across the universe. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We were created because he loves us and he wants to partner with us. And he's got things destined for us, prepared in advance for us to do. What will we do with what he's done for us, with what he's given us? Ephesians 3, NIV, verse 10. These guys, they got it, eh? Ephesians 3, verse 10. His intent was that now... Okay, let me back this up for a moment. Who's the church? All three of us. Okay, you are the church. I am the church. In other words, whenever I see these words, the church, I'm going to put my name in and see what he says about me. His intent was that now, through Casey, (laughs) through Tamika, through Brenda, through Maness, you getting it? His intent was that now through you, the manifold wisdom of God would be made known to the rulers and the authorities, not even on earth, in the heavenly realms. His intent was that through you, the manifold wisdom of God would be made known in the heavenly realms. How much more on earth? that's his intent what will we do with his intent right near the beginning of our series Iva had this prophetic word for us as a church and I want to read this over you would you just receive these words today you are like an arrow hidden in my quiver says God 
You are like an arrow hidden in my quiver, and I am polishing you. Do not be discouraged by the polishing of the Lord. The Lord will continue to polish, he will continue to hope, and he will continue to trim you. Do not think God has forsaken me. Where is the Lord? The Lord's hand is upon you, he says to you, Trinity. And the time is coming. It has happened, and it will happen again and again and again. And I will pull that arrow out of my quiver, and I will put you in my bow, and I will pull back that bow with my mighty right hand. The things that you are contending for, I will release my power into this church, and you will see the things that you have longed for, says the Lord. That's a profound and powerful prophetic word that God has for us as a church. I want to wrap up with this little story here. A dad is probably one of the greatest, most privileged titles that I can ever hope to have on the face of this earth. And as a dad, there are certain things required and expected of me to go above and beyond the call of duty. For example, a beautiful three-year-old with a little bottle of nail polish in her hands saying, Dad, come and sit down here. I have pink toenails. And I'm wearing them proudly. I had to overcome a few things, but I'm wearing them proudly. But as this beautiful little girl of, me, of mine came up to me with these fluttering little eyes and said, I want to paint your toenails, Dad. I think someone else sewed the idea in her head. I'm not saying who, but... Um, in the midst of that moment, as I'm sitting on that chair and she's painting my toenails, I have this profound encounter with Jesus because I have this revelation that what I'm reminded is sometimes the best things in life are not the most comfortable, are not the things that I would choose to embark on, and they're certainly out of our comfort zones. I don't wake up in the morning going, "Woo! I can't wait to have pink toenails. And I, I, I don't mean to... Uh, sorry, I'm not trying to create stereotypes or anything. It's me, okay? It's who I am. And I just, I just pink toenails, just, ugh, I just don't like the thought of it. And, and I'll, I'll grow up and I'll come through it eventually. But, but that's my issue. And I, I sat there in the midst of my issue. My point is this. We all have our issues. Whether they're reasonable or unreasonable. We all have our concerns and our fears and our, what will others say? I almost wore my flip-flops this morning to prove it, but <laughs> come to the beach this afternoon, you'll see them. You know, when we face up to some of these things that may even cause us to wonder what others might say, but but here's what I saw as I saw the joy. And the pride in my little girl's eyes. And that's all it took to settle all that stuff. And what if, I, what if that had the same impact on God as I chose to surrender myself to Him? What if I choose to, 
to obey him radically? What if I choose to surrender radically? What if I choose to look past the discomfort and all of the stuff that goes with it to put myself before him and say, do what you want in and through me because I trust that you're good. Do you, know, do you know the revelation I had in that moment? For all this time, I've thought that it's just about what he wants to do in and through me that's going to make a difference to the world and the family and the people around me. And it's all about me becoming uncomfortable for everyone else. But when I saw the joy and the pride in my little girl's eyes, I suddenly had this revelation that the joy and the pride in my father's eyes when I surrendered to him was undoing. More than what I can do for him, what I mean to him. Wow. I want to invite us to, to respond to something. Milt came this morning and just confirmed something that was really stirring in my heart. When we were singing that song, We Exalt Thee. And, and he made this, he quoted the scripture that says, Every Knee shall bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Justina, could I invite you to come up to the piano for a moment, please? Thank you. And I want to invite us right now to make a decision towards radical obedience, radical trust. And believing in Him. Radical believing, radical trust, and radical obedience. Because when we seek first the kingdom, all the stuff will be added. Or taken away as necessary. The worries, the anxieties, the everything else. And I want to invite us, church, to... As I saw the face and the heart of God in my little girl's face as she took such pride and joy in me surrendering to her wishes and desires in the midst of that moment. Could we see the same joy and pride in our Father's eyes as we just come before Him this morning? And you know what? This is not about your strength. This is not about what you can do, what I can do. It's not about what we can do. It's not about going, okay, I need to fix all these things. It is a, it is a, it's, it's a heartfelt It's not a mind-inspired thing. It's a heartfelt response to bow the knee before Jesus this morning. To surrender our lives before Him. Because as we do that, the promise is that He gives us life. One of the greatest parables of Jesus is that unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it cannot be raised to life and produce fruit. So I want to invite us this morning to just take a moment and to do business with our God. Because you are the most unlikely hero of all heroes. And if you would do this, his intent that through you, his manifold wisdom would be made known through the heavenly realms and on the earth will become true. When we do this, everything changes in our lives. Everything changes in our families. Everything changes in our city. Everything changes in our world. We're called to evangelize and love our city. But we can't do that unless we do this.
This is the heart of being a disciple. The root of that word is discipline. So will you join me right now? And I I have literally just felt the impression on my heart to literally bow the knee to Jesus this morning. And so I'm going to do that right now. I want to encourage you this morning, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, or if you've never done this before, would you take a step of faith, a courageous step of faith? Faith is defined in the Bible as being sure of things not seen and certain of things hoped for. Would you choose to take a radical step of obedience and trust this morning that God is good? If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you don't know that you are, a, you are born again and you are, you are set free and you are living out His salvation for you this morning, would you bow the knee to Jesus this morning? And if you are doing that, find someone alongside you and tell them what you're doing, that they can stand with you and pray with you. And for the rest of us, if you're able to do this, do it in your heart if you can't do it physically. But let's bow the knee to the name of Jesus this morning and trust that he is good. Father, I surrender my life into your hands, trusting that as I surrender, you give me life in abundance that I could have never dared dream, wish, or imagine for.